1: Now, Alan will recognise this because I I spent ages looking for this. And then, of course, walk around Alan's garden and it's there in abundance. But this little tiny oxalis, um, which is called Plum Crazy, I think. Alan's got it planted in pots sort of spilling out all over the place with um, lots of silver-leaved things. It looks great. But um, it's such a pretty little... um, Thing with these sort of pink um, splashed leaves, and it again propagates very easily. So I've just been picking bits off all summer and sticking them in pots of compost, and it just roots. Not, I'm not in love with the yellow flowers on it, but um, if you want something a little bit smaller, I think that's great. How how did you come across that, Alan? Because you've you've really gone for it this year, haven't you? Well,
2: I came across it um, the, my last autumn 2022 um plant fairs where i first got it and i i I bought a couple of pots from a stall there and then i just propagated it as you say i'm an avid propagator i can't stop myself and you know a new plant like that and i mean i had i had outside my potting shed i was working up there one day and the garden was open to visitors and i had trays and trays of this and these ladies kept coming past oh what's that and I said, well, these the, I'm propagating these to go in my pots for the summer. This is about April, I suppose. And, uh, oh, well, can we buy them? Well, can we buy them? And I was in great danger of not having enough, but <laughs> I managed it. Because, you know, you don't like to disappoint people. And when they see something small in a pot, well, you're not going to get much more than three quid for it. So you just, <laughs> just think to yourself, well, that's three quid towards another plant, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean it isn't. I have just been ripping bits off it constantly, and of course now I've seen what you do, you've done with it, which is you know you you know using it as almost as a sort of bedding. Yeah, you know the, the possibilities for it are are great. Um, I don't know if if you planted it. I mean, lots of oxalis are quite invasive, aren't they? So I don't know if it would be. But um,
2: I don't it, think it's frost hardy. Dan, actually. It yeah. might come through in some milder gardens, but I think in most people's gardens it probably wouldn't. Um, and I mean there is, of course, there is the plain brown leaf version of that, which looks very much like that Ox- oxalis that seeds itself around everybody's garden as a weed. Um yes. but that the the brown leaf one doesn't seed like a weed. But I, I think that the, and there's a golden leaf form. I don't know whether you've seen that.
1: I think I have seen it, yes. Yeah. Um but I'm I'm taking all these little cuttings because because my garden's so small. I suppose it, it applies to what I'm going to show you next. But because my garden is so small, I can't really overwinter the big plants. So some of them I have to let go, and then I keep everything as cuttings or small plants, so that in the spring that I can sort of virtually start again. But it does break my heart a bit because especially things like coleus. Have done incredibly well this year. They've kind of liked the sort of less, well, much less dry than last year, um, and by and large, less hot, and and they just come into their own in September and October before the temperature drops a lot. And they're really great this year. But they, I, you know, I can't keep them at the size that they're at because I have nowhere for them. So they are all becoming cuttings, which is what these will become. I just picked. Um, three coleus and and they are i think they're my three favorites actually because they're not as coleus as some coleus so i've got (laughs) i've got uh, lord falmouth which i just don't think you can do without really in in any sort of garden it is
2: that's that's as interesting as any flower dan
1: yes
0: and pink and (laughs) green i love pink and green
1: and this isn't even sort of the strongest piece. I've I've, I've got some lovely photographs of it for you to um, show people, but it's very, very neat growing. It, it, a lot of these smaller-leaved coleus look a bit like a tapestry when they grow. You know, they really, and they they vary a little bit as well. So the bits that are slightly more in the sun tend to sort of go a slightly different colour and the new shoots are a little bit paler and things like that. So it's a really interesting um, plant, but... This, I mean, grows grows so easily from cutting. So uh, this, this is what this is going to be. It's going to be a cutting when, um, when we've finished recording this. <laughs> Lord Falmouth, I think that probably has to be joint number one favourite with oh. um, Burgundy Wedding Train, which, yeah. um, again... I oh, mean, that's, that's very smart.
0: I think that's my favourite Coleus of all time. I absolutely it adore
1: it. gorgeous. And... Uh, You can't. You can just see it here, but you get the odd stem that has much more of a lemon um, splash. It's it has a very nice habit. This very similar to um, Lord Falmouth in that it it sort of it does sort of drape quite nicely, and then where it drapes, it sends up shoots so that you don't end up with all these sort of bare legs. Um, So again, very sort of forms a sort of tapestry. which brings, you, brings me on to another, um, the last one that I picked for you, which is called Wisley Tapestry. This has been growing in um, absolutely no sun whatsoever. So like in a really sort of horrid bit at the end of a passageway. Um, and again, just a huge mound of this sort of slightly antiquey looking um, foliage. Um, and very neat and polite and so all of these will be yes cuttings that I shall um, overwinter and then next year I'll pop them up in I usually leave it quite late because Mm. they aren't lovers of um, they're they're very happy with cool weather they're not happy with cold weather so I I leave them until the days are quite long to the end of May beginning of June and then I then I put them out. Also as well, often that's after sort of slug and snail time as well. So that's... That I think a- one of the things that puts people off, off Coley is an awful lot
2: is the fact that Um, When they see them grown together en masse, different varieties, different shapes, different colours, they do look something of a mess, I think. But Mm. if you do what you do there and you single out the varieties that you actually like and make a big planting of one of those varieties and then a big planting of another or something like that, but don't mix them up too much because you mix them up and they just look slightly messy i feel but i mean the the what was the burgundy wedding train which i thought was absolutely fantastic i could see that immediately in my mind's eye as a big pot on my front doorstep so that's yeah. on yeah. that's on the list
1: yeah. and i think it would be great and i think if you wanted to create that a really sort of good mound sort of structure if you put a few sort of pea sticks in around it that 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 would help to create a a shape i sort of just let mine sort of drape themselves around but you could and i think in scandinavia where they're really really into coleus they they do all sorts of sort of pruning and training of them to kind of make them into to neat shapes but um you could certainly that you know they're not they don't have the strongest structure coleus so if you if you can support them a little bit, it does help keep them tidy, especially when you have weather like we've just had.
2: Now you 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 manufacture and sell garden equipment. I'm going to throw an idea at you
1: because <laughs> <laughs> go on, go on.
2: My, my immediate thing is you've got a colis in a pot and you want it to be this lovely, lovely shape. Wouldn't it be nice if you could buy something like a galvanized metal or even a bamboo? Dome-shaped structure with the, where they could grow their shoots through. Um, yeah, I
1: he's
2: writing
1: it I think, down. i I'm it down.
2: I just sort yeah. of think that that would, you know, and and if it's if it's if it's nice enough, which if you did it, it would be because everything that you have looks nice. Um, it's an interesting thing to look at as well before the Curlies has got through it.
1: Yes, yes, something a bit like one of those sort of um, like cake covers that, that you get. Yes, um,
0: yes, that, yeah, uh,
1: with with bigger gaps in it, yes. I think it's a great idea. I love that. Also,
0: I didn't realise this whole Scandinavian love of Coleus. The next time my partner shares his hatred of Coleus and wonders why I like them, I will point out that it's because of my Nordic heritage and therefore I (laughs) am (laughs) innately drawn to them.
1: It is. It is funny how, I mean, we don't seem particularly interested in them in this country, but in America they're huge and in Scandinavia they're huge, but here we just seem to you know the garden centers tend to have the seed-grown ones, which I I have to say are pretty useless because they they go to flower so quickly.
0: Yeah. Um
1: I'm not a fan of them, but i I like the I like the named varieties.
0: And it's worth saying, I'm fairly certain. I know for sure, Burgundy Wedding Train. I'm sure, assuming the other two are all available from Dibley's. They do lovely sort of buy however many plugs. So obviously you they could do. have three. And because- I
1: Yes they do and I discovered a thing about Dibley's as well which I'll share because um well they might not thank me for it but um they tend to have sort of 24 varieties on their website every season and you sort of you can you can choose them or you can just have a sort of variety pack as it were but um after I'd been to Chelsea I realized there were lots of things on their stands that they don't have on their website and they basically said oh you just just have to phone up and we'll tell you what we've got available of the other ones at any given time so if there are specific ones that you're looking for or if you see something at Chelsea or Hampton Court then do phone them up because they they have quite a lot of other interesting ones that are maybe not as mainstream or maybe they don't propagate in quite so much quantity um but yes so it's worth doing that Yeah, they'll probably be. You
2: can't do that. You could do what I do. You could go to a local nursery, and I don't know where they get them from, how they grow them, or whatever, but they have masses of coleus and have done for several years. Um, And we go over there and we buy a mass of coleus, but I always select the ones that look the most alike, going back to what we were saying, a single variety, if you like. And um, I think we're paying around, it's under £2 a plant anyway. I mean, I was going to say about one sixty for a, a small plant in a tiny little pot. But I mean, you know, the answer to the where well, the knack of it is being in that nursery at the right time when they're freshly delivered, and you have the pick of the crop, and you take them home, and immediately you get them home, you repot them to keep them growing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They do like to be kept kept growing on. They don't mm-hmm. they don't um, sit around happily. And
2: I, just one thing I should say to you that. Quite, I've often sort of thought in the middle of winter, how on earth do you keep coleus growing? Because they are quite difficult in a way. They don't like to be too wet. If they are, they'll they'll just flop and be miserable. I once went to give a talk at um, a community center and in this community center, in the middle of winter, it was January actually, on the windowsill, there was this wonderful plant of this coleus. It wasn't a name variety, it was just a coleus. And I suspect as a community center, it'd probably being given by somebody, um, and plonked on this windowsill. And I went over to look at it because it just looked so splendid. And you know it was as dry as dry could be. <laughs> and it must have been one day away from drooping. But I thought that is probably the key to keeping them through the winter is to not overwater them. Yeah.
1: Yes. I think with many things that's the case, isn't yeah. it? You know, just yeah. really keep them on the on the edge over winter. It's almost a
2: starvation diet. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you want to show them? Because I, I know you've probably taken them all out now, but you did formally have them all beautifully arranged. All of well, your well,
1: little... so I've got a few things arranged in this in in a flower bowl. There you see, and I picked this um, I picked this sort of dahlia flower, dahlia shaped flower bowl out because it's got a bit of the pink from the back of the leaves. So, oh,
2: that's a lesson, and that's a lesson in, to start with. Because there's other pinks in there as well. There's the pinks on the stems of the begonias. If you look at the where the begonia where the where the flower joins the stem, there's pink there. So I mean, whether you did that consciously or unconsciously, I don't know. But it's the kind of thing, I mean, that, that me, I can't help myself doing that.
0: <laughs> it I think that's very conscious. similar on that front.
1: <laughs> it was very conscious. And um, and then of course a little bit of a little bit of Lord Farmouth in there as well. But um Yeah, I love these, um, you know, especially when you've had weather like we've just had, where you go out in the garden and there are bits broken off all over the shop and you just think, well, what am I going to do with those? Because, you know, the stems are often not long enough or there's just one and you don't particularly want to cut a whole load more. So I find these sort of flower bowls with a flower frog in the bottom, which is like a little spiky thing like that, you can just bring a few bits in from the garden and make something of them, and sort of for a bedside table or you know. Just I have I put flowers everywhere. To be fair, but um, you know, and and they last a really long time. So um, yeah. I think
2: will- you. Do. I mean, you you just touched on something, Dan, because you know, in this in this day and age where we don't want to um create unnecessary waste and everything. I mean, you used to have flower floral foam which wouldn't bi- biodegrade, and it became very unfashionable for people to use that. It's very easy to use if you've got fairly stiff stems and you want to create a flower arrangement, very quick. Um, mm. However, you know, the, the, the what did you call those things? Frogs?
0: Frogs, yeah. Frogs, yeah.
2: Frogs. I remember, you know, see, my granny, Granny Gray, had glass ones with holes in, and you used That's to right. put them in the bottom of a vase, and now you've got well, these ones, which used to be called pin holders, Um, Because they've got sharp pins on the top and you can sort of push the stems in. Now if you use those and you make a lovely framework of fairly solid, shall we say shrubby type stems, you can then push your softer stems in between um, and you've got a self-supporting flower arrangement that's not going to hurt the environment whatsoever. It's a wonderful way of doing
1: things. Yeah, I mean, these, I, I believe these, so the Japanese name is Kenzan, which means sword mountain. And I think that makes a lot more sense than, than, a, than flower frog, which, you know, someone decided to call them here. But, um, you know, they've been used in Japan, I think, for, for centuries. And, and of course, my, my grannies had them as well. They have drawers, yeah. but they used to, used to be made out of steel. Um, which, of course, went rusty under the water after a while. But now they make them out of lead and brass. So they're pretty, um, you know, tarnish resistant. And the lead, of course, makes them nice and heavy to hold.
2: One One little tip I think I would say is if you... If you're arranging something, uh, 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 making an arrangement in a fairly low vase, you do really need to get some kind of fixative underneath that flower frog pin holder or Kenzan, Kenzan, um, and push it down so that it holds firmly and you don't get something toppling over in the middle of a dinner party or something
1: like that. (laughs) Yes, there's something called museum putty, I think, which you can use, which is sort of, which obviously doesn't, won't affect your um, bowl or the chemtrail, it's sort of inert, but it will sort of hold it in place. Because some of the really old um, vases and bowls, you know, probably from the twenties and thirties, used to have sort of special recesses, you know, manufactured into them where the frog would sit. But they do just have, you know, as you say, you can use any kind of low bowl. What prompted me to say that was when many years
2: ago I studied Ikebana, the Japanese art flower arranging, if you like, not terribly seriously, but I mean, you know, you you, and you suddenly have one stem going up and going on, probably at an angle, and that angle is going to tip if you don't actually secure the frog at the base. Um, So, yeah.
1: the other lovely thing about arranging like that is, of course, it is all about sort of celebrating the natural yeah. state and the quirky shape. So I just, I mean, I take it out, but I, I was, you know, in normal fire arranging, you know, a slightly wonky um fern leaf like that would would not be the one that you would choose whereas in ichabana or or sort of slightly more contemporary, you know that is that is a you know something to be celebrated That it's slightly wonky and off center so um yeah so embrace those wonky branches
0: uh, flower frogs are they something that can be found on the dan cooper garden website
1: Yes, they can. Of course they can. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I've got various different sizes. And uh, so depending on what sort of container you've got, there's a rectangular one as well, which is good if you've got like an old sandwich plate or something like that that you can um, that you can use. Um, So, yes.
2: Dare I say that they make wonderful Christmas presents, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they do. And there's lots of different bowls. There's a daisy. And of course you've got to you've got to have a bit of good old cabbageware as well, which um again, that's that looks lovely with, you know, sort of especially I just find that even wildflowers look really good. Um, because that slightly more contemporary and naturalistic look is um Sort of suits a flower frog really as long as you've got as alan said you've got some stiff stems in there to support some of the more fragile ones you're, you're away really
0: yeah i was in a garden center the other day and i was slightly traumatized to discover that they were already putting the christmas display out and there were actual christmas trees not yet dressed but they they started <laughs> the process of turning the garden center into a christmas grotto
2: i know we we sometimes grumble about that that we say oh look it's 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 the end of august but you know sometimes if you if you if you're thinking about it, it it the reason the reason for doing that is to give you an idea, give the general public an idea or a theme or something like that. And if they want to, I mean, it gives them the chance to budget when you're buying Christmas decorations. And I and know get
0: in there before they're all bought, because as I well, know,
2: I'm just going to talk... <laughs> <laughs> talk about that because a certain Mr. Dan Cooper, who I know quite well, has has the most amazing arrange uh, arrangement of. Um, or range of Christmas decorations. To me, they are the kind of Christmas decorations that you hand down to your, you know, the next generation because they're just so exquisite. Take it away now. I'm sorry
0: for anybody who has (laughs) that same feeling that I had in the garden centre at this point where we start to talk about the C word in September. But um, if you want to get ahead of the curve and get hold of things before they sell out, you will thank us for doing this now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well of course my life before um dan cooper garden i was the christmas buyer at john lewis so um and it was the job i always wanted you know i spent i spent probably 20 something years waiting for this particular job to come up because um i've always been a bit of a christmas christmas a file is that a word i don't know <laughs> um so, yeah, so I had that lovely job. And of course, you know, John Lewis is, you know, is where people go to sort of, you know, see Christmas at its best, I guess. And um, and it, and a huge thing, you know, we, uh, um, and people, do, yes, going back to your thing about the garden centres, every year people used to say, oh, it's too early. Christmas gets earlier every year. Well, when I first started in 1996, I think it was, we used to launch Christmas in the very first week of September and it actually got later and later as time went on, not earlier and earlier. So um, so that's interesting, but you can't tell people that because they won't help. <laughs> but, um, but when I, of course, when I, um, you know, I moved on from John Lewis and, and set up Dan Cooper Garden, I couldn't quite bring myself to leave Christmas behind. And I also have some just such lovely suppliers. Um that I really wanted to sort of carry on working with them. So I was just very selective and um, chose to work with some in Poland who make things in the, you know, the good old fashioned way. So just how how they were always made, of mouth blown, hand decorated, not mass produced at all and just lots of lots of lovely details so the 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 bestseller last year which i think you know already of course was the uh was the greenhouse yeah well course. you very
2: kindly gave me one of those and i've got it and i shall treasure it forever i mean that yes. is just a superb christmas decoration isn't it
1: <laughs> i've got some new ones for you this year alan which i shall have to send you but um yeah so the, that one is back and then um uh, we also have a pomegranate this year which is new and i just I don't know if you can see, but I just, the little glistening fruits yep. in there, uh, little peps in there, which I love, and it's sort of just slightly split open on the back, which I think is... Oh, is really
0: yeah. they opulent I have, as well. I have
1: done the unthinkable, and I have done a gnome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure the RHS would, would, would be turning in their whatever, turning in their compost heap, but uh, yeah, we have a gnome for this year. And um, and because glass is not everybody's cup of tea, and um, you know if you've got kids and, well, like babies, children, and pets around, you don't necessarily want them. I've done some felt ones this year as well. So we have uh, the, the least harmful snail that you will ever have in your garden. And it's so funny, because I have taken these out a couple of times already, and children, the snail and the caterpillar, they literally, you can see the hands. <laughs> There's that, you know, I'd forgotten, actually, until I saw it happening, how fascinated you are when you're a child with snail. I remember keeping snails in, yeah. you know, boxes, and uh, probably what you shouldn't really do. But, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? So you see these little hands going for the... um going for the caterpillar and the snail. And then, of course, everybody loves bees. So there's a cheerful little bee there. <laughs> That's <laughs> lovely, very happy. Yeah, which I, I feel could end up being a sort of cat toy um, <laughs> if if, um, if fallen from the tree. It's just <laughs> thing a cat would like to bash around with its paws, isn't it? But anyway, no harm can come to anybody with the... Um, They're
0: with
1: the lovely.
0: Bee. It's funny you say the thing about the, the children and the caterpillars and the slugs, Bear with me. I just have to step across to the play mat because I uh, I got this from the Cambridge University Botanic Garden Shop. It's a happy little oh. little caterpillar that Fiola finds completely, I mean, I love that sound. He finds that very fascinating. But yes, we're building a love of garden pests in our kids with all of these. <laughs> it's, quite,
1: it's quite mesmerising to look at on the camera. So I can only imagine.
0: It's the sound. <laughs> I hope you're getting that kind of castanet sound. Uh, so I'm quite a fan of him, probably more than some of the caterpillars who have been eating my brassicas. But anyway, i will put him on my lap.
1: <laughs> yes, well we we went we we went on a walk yesterday, and uh, John, my other half, found this fascinating moth which I had to admit was very pretty. So it was white with like a completely sort of brown edge around its um, wings. And John said, well, what you, what you know, what do you think it is? And I said, well, it looks a bit like a tablecloth. So maybe we'll call it a tablecloth moth. But we got home, of course, and Googled it, as, as you must. And it, of course, it is the blessed box moth caterpillar. It's a oh, box moth, isn't it? It's like um, me,
0: the first time I saw one in my garden uh, or on my window. Oh, that's so beautiful. What <laughs> could it possibly be?
1: <laughs> and they are, I mean, it, it's tragic down here because um, our local park um, has had a lot of box hedges in it, not, not very well cared for um, because the maintenance is sort of at rock bottom at the moment, but of course they just went through it. And they are there's this sort of skeletal hedge um, around lots of the areas in the park, and I I think a lot of people that I know in Kent and Sussex that have um, had an outbreak earlier in the year and now having another one, so you've got to be very very vigilant. I don't know what do you what do you do there, Alan?
2: Throw it right away, Dan. I really do. I can't. I can't. Um, I mean, I've I noticed in a pair of uh, topiary columns um, in in pots I mean one of them's got it terribly and I just thought well that's going on the bonfire heap I'm not going to keep it because it's just it's it's another job and it's it, well, it's a job that's ongoing if you see what I mean because you just mentioned you know you get the first generation then there's a the second generation and there's a, there'll be a third if the weather's open and mild enough so you know rather than spend the money on the chemicals that you have to get to deal with it and you've got to pay then somebody to, to actually administer the chemical and everything else I would rather use something else for my topiary. And at the moment, uh, my favourite thing to use for topiary is you, I have to say. And, you know, when you're t- when you're starting with a piece of topiary, and this is something that you can, if you've got, you know, you, if you've got a grandchild or a child, so it's I'm thinking of you, you can t- actually, you know... When you find a a little yew seedling growing in somewhere, dig it up and put it in a pot. And actually you can, if you buy something like um, aluminium wire, which is very, very bendy, you can turn it into sort of shapes. You can make it into a bonsai or something like that. It's not instant, I have to say that. But you know, it's rather nice to think that you can, a yew seedling, I mean, we have them in the garden here all the time because we have yew and um, they get birds sown everywhere. And we dig them up and we line them out in a row and then we'll use them as a hedge somewhere. And it is very satisfying. Know that, you know, they started life with you in the garden and they're still there. So my my go-to is you.
0: Oh, to have 32 acres, hey? <laughs> <laughs> line out a hedge.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say this at the beginning, but um, of course, you know, Alan's garden does have to be seen to be believed, I think. I mean, obviously I had... I had heard lots of things and seen lots of pictures, but, you know, you cannot, you can, you have to be in a garden to understand a garden, don't you? You you can't, you can look at as many pictures as you like. So... Um, I've got a very easy garden to get lost in as well. Not for you, Alan, but for the rest of us. I was there with my guide, holding very hard to my guidebook, thinking, no, I really must be here, but I'm not. But <laughs> And it's easy to miss things as well. So, um,
2: Well, part of the fascination, I think, really, when we designed the garden, Graham and I together, and we did it for ourselves, by ourselves, without any outside help, but what we did is we... We kind of did a a straightforward vista from here to there. And I mean, James Alexander Sinclair did a, did a, um, when he he said the bish bash thing at the end. And the bish bash is the left and the right. So you go off a tangent left and right. So you're looking at the thing at the end, which is leading your eye and you want to go down there. But then there's a right turn and a left turn off at an angle. And you think, well, if I go down there, I might miss something down here. (laughs)
1: but that was exactly what my experience was
0: (laughs) I also think the different garden rooms they can be different depending on where you enter from I mean particularly the exotic garden if you come at it it through that wonderful wooden structure and then you kind of look at the the big fountain at the other end or you can emerge at one end or from the side through a gate or through some bamboo under some plants it's um it's a totally different experience of how you meet that garden room
2: yeah
1: it is no it is yeah and of course that i mean historically as well like with gardens like stourhead that was all completely contrived and staged so that the garden was experienced in a very specific order wasn't it so all Mm. of this you plunged into some dark grotto and then out into the light and all of that. It was a, you know, and I guess it's the same with Alan's garden. You could walk around it in two different directions and and get a very different sort of experience and perspective on it. But what a joy to have that, you know, the ability to do that. Unfortunately, my garden you can sort of walk into and then turn around and walk back out again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it doesn't stop you growing interesting plants, Dan, does it?
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I can look down on it from above, which I have to say is 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 a particular joy sometimes as well. Because I have a very tall house. And if I look out of my window here just in front of me, I can look down on it. And of course you do, it looks completely different from an aerial view. And fascinating to see how the plants arrange themselves as well to sort of maximise the light they're getting because you don't see that from from ground level, particularly with the way the bananas and then the fanciers come up in between and the um resinus and all of that. It's, it looks brilliant from above.
0: It reminds me of the David Attenborough Green Planet when they would talk about how all the different plants kind of grew through each other to get to the light. You can really appreciate those relationships when you get the aerial view.
1: Yes, you can, yeah.
0: That's wonderful. Well, you've certainly given me all kinds of Flomo today. Flomo being that fear of missing out you get about a flower or a plant. And people must follow The Frustrated Gardener and Dan Cooper Garden on Instagram. I mean, your Frustrated Gardener brand is obviously like a decade and more in the making. And you can just scroll back through that Instagram for years of planty inspiration. I have taken my Flomo from your daily grid. Because yeah. finally I've had my allotment and although it's been quite the adventure trying to manage a newborn and an allotment and sort of a garden, though that's been very neglected. Um, it's uh, So I'm so distracted. My my dog is sitting here just wagging her tail at me, wanting tickles because daddy's been out for the last hour and she wants wants to know why it's not about her. But anyway, uh, back to the dahlias. I finally was able to put a uh, halls of head and order in. I had these beautiful garden ready plants that came in June and I have been loving them. All the blooms. Amusingly, I put the whole order in for Edith Jones, that gorgeous pink colorette that you brought along yes. podcast and podcasts ago. Obviously, that would be the one that didn't actually arrive. So that was mislabeled. And I think from looking through their catalogue of plants, it might be it's got an, a Dill- Dill- Dillith Ailing. Ailing, I think, has come instead of Edith Jones is Sailing is red. Yes, it is red with a lovely kind of ruffly collarette. And it's absolutely beautiful and actually has combined quite well in my arrangements. But I'm still missing Edith Jones. So I'll pursue Edith Jones. That's still a flow mode from you from before. I did get Holy Hill Serenity, which was probably my favorite for Impact as you walked onto the allotment. So thank you very much for suggesting that one. It so floriferous and such a kind of beacon. And that uh, led me on to your Dahlia, Blight and Softer Gleam, because to me it had an air of Hollyhill Hill Serenity about it, that kind of peachy yellow petal. But... Yeah. Uh, a smaller pom-pom rather than a, a bigger kind of water lily, I suppose, flower. Um, bit of apricot and orange in there, obviously, to keep me happy. And you said that there were so many colours in it that you could see even from a distance. And I have really enjoyed that with the allotment, being able, unlike in my garden, to appreciate flowers from a distance. So um, I'm assuming, as it ended up on the grid, that blight and softer gleam is one that you're a fan of.
1: Yes, yes. There aren't many I'm not a fan of. I mean, some, <laughs> some. yes, I, I I sort of tire of. I as I said at the beginning, you know, it really is the, the big flowered dinner plate yeah. ones. That I'm a bit like mm. Interesting. I'm not sure.
0: Aside from the dinner plates, are there any you've grown that are going out just because you don't think they're very good or they're not a good performer or they age badly or something?
1: Uh <laughs> Some, some don't form the best tubers, and they sort of then sort of dwindle a little bit. I don't know if there's any, um, I mean, yes, there is one that, well, you know, I mean, Alan knows this well, you know, gardening as a partnership does um, occasionally cause some, you know, heated debates, but... Um, uh there's one called Frostnip, which john likes but i sort of think it literally does look like sort of overcooked salmon with sort of fat on it it's sort of just i just it's not an attractive shade of anything and um yeah i just don't i don't like the look of it it's a bit too i don't like anything that looks a bit fleshy <laughs> what i mean in color um So that's not a favourite. There's a fine line
0: between that lovely antique colour that's very on on vogue and flesh, which very few people probably like. Uh, I also was a big fan of uh, Dahlia Megan Dean, which is, was it Megan Dean? Basically Mm. as unlike anything I grow as possible. And I'm not exactly sure how I would use it because I'm not sure. I might have to buy one or two other things to go with it. But these lovely lilac pink pom-poms in that almost bluey kind of tone from the picture.
1: I'm very tall. Did you find it very tall?
0: I haven't grown it. No, this was just... Oh, was you haven't? Your yes.
1: flomo. Further back in the border, though, for that one. It does grow very tall and, and quite upright. So that's a good one, yeah, for the back.
0: Mm. Talking of tall, actually, and, and dahlias, but more um, species, uh, I think I heard on your lovely Too Good Gardener podcast that you were very excited about your Dahlia Imperialis.
1: Oh my goodness, I am quite, well, it never pays to get too excited about Dalia Imperialis because (laughs) the weather can um, ruin things for you, but we, we, as I say, we didn't get that. We got the cold weather that everyone else got, but it wasn't as cold. An our straight Dahlia imperialis, which we're beginning to wonder whether it is straight Dahlia imperialis, because the flowers seem to be quite large for imperialis. But that flowered like we've never seen last year. And then, of course, it got cold and um, it was over pretty quickly. But this year they are... They are almost six weeks ahead of where they would normally be. I cannot explain why. So, daily imperialis does that. You obviously shoots skyward, and it's sort of about ten foot tall. But when it's thinking very slowly about flowering, it starts to produce side branches. And it's been doing that for a good few weeks already. So it's starting to look very branched. And every time I sort of look up at it and think, is there a sign of a bird? Is there? There, there isn't yet, but it's still very early for um for flowers. But we also have two um unnamed Dalia imperialis variations, maybe, one of which has dark-ish colored leaves and that has never flowered and so we are just sort of waiting with bated breath to see if that might do something because allegedly it has sort of deep rose pink ver- verging on sort of magenta colored flowers and i would really like to see if it has but who knows i mean alan knows as as well as i do that it's a it's a it's a waiting game with Delia imperialis
2: it is a very very good waiting game. We have dahlia something or other that came from Craig Farm, which is a very tall growing tree dahlia, um, with relatively small purpley mauve flowers. But that flowers very early. It flowers in July, and it's still flowering oh. now. Um, and I originally bought it, and it cost me fifty pounds for a tuber, and twenty five pounds for carriage. And I thought you mad fool, but I managed to get the, to divide the tuber into three or five or something like that, and We've taken cuttings since, so we've got quite a lot of it. But they are space-consuming, Dan, aren't they? I mean, these big, big dahlias, they, are, they consume an awful lot of space.
1: Space and, well, I was growing on the allotment, so it, they're slightly more excused. But we I, we grew potatoes in, in the bed next to them. And honestly, I had a better crop of dahlia roots than I had potatoes because <laughs> they were roots out everywhere and of course they are immense plants so the roots are not small and of course they're they're virtually becoming tuberous and they take everything out of the soil as well so the potatoes that were nearest the data imperialis were puny low cropping little things because i think whether it was water or nutrients they had literally hoovered the lot up so it's a plant um, for splendid isolation or, you know, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, a greedy, greedy plant, but but spectacular. Yeah.
2: Well, going on to, I'm thinking, still on the theme of dahlias, I wasn't going to mention a dahlia because I thought Thordis has done dahlia justice, but there's one, I've just been waiting to see if anybody's mentioned that you haven't, neither of you have, <laughs> and so I thought I would mention it, and it's a very small pom-pom, and it's called Rococo, And it grows to about three feet tall and it has the most startling purple, magenta little balls of flower. I mean, they are absolutely, it's a bit like a pointless painting. You see it across the garden and you think, what is that? And that's one that I'm going to, I've had it in the ground for Ten years, probably. And there it sits. Again, a little bit, as Dan just said, in Splendid Isolation, but it shouldn't be. It should be more. So I'm going to dig that one up and make sure that I label it. And we'll propagate from that from cuttings early next year. My, that's, so that's one part of my Flomo thing. And I've written some lovely Flomo down from for as well. But I'm just going to go on to a big dahlia again, which is Dahlia Campanulata. Um, which has those lovely sort of jagged white bells with a purple throat. Now, whether we'll get flowers on it or not, I don't know. I I have just been joined
1: by a noisy cat. I don't know whether you can hear it.
0: I've had my noisy dog. You've got your noisy cat. Have you shut your dogs away, Dan?
1: Well, of course, because John's here. They're, they're safely with him behaving.
2: <laughs> but for going back to today's podcast, I decided that I mentioned my lovely little shady area where I put Canna Aridiflora um And, you know, there's so many things that you can grow in shade that is beautiful. And, um Dan, you've just woke me up to beautiful, bountiful mm. Um And I think that I've got to have this big one, which I think was... Byaboldiana, than- I think. I think. Yep. Yeah. Cybaldiana, yep. Cybaldiana Netalianus. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's not a name. That was a joke. Now, just say this. Watch it because she <laughs> has a sting in her tail. <laughs> anyway, so Marius and Dalia Rococo. they're my two two plants that I really must one I must get and the other um I must propagate.
0: Dan, what's your flow then?
1: Well, I don't know whether well, so I had a moment when I was at Alan's um lovely plant fair in um September. And I, you know, I was all set up and I was all sort of composed and like ready for ready for the off. And of course, people came in and then this lady walked past me with this this I don't know, it's, it looked like the Queen Mother's hat, you know, this <laughs> this sort of is thing emerging out of a bag. And I was literally so I think you know, there were people bra- and I was like, oh, you know, when you like kind of drawn away to (laughs) earth is that and I thought you know I'm pretty good at uh, identifying a plant but I thought it's not a hydrangea you know what is it what is this thing anyway of course it wasn't until I eventually got to walk around Alan's um garden and um went into the greenhouse and saw that it was in fact a solanum uh solanum whenlandii which um It is the most spectacular thing although I have subsequently discovered since Alan kindly gifted me a plant that it is it's also quite spiny um it it keeps hooking itself to my trousers when I walk past it but um it is I mean just it's just one of those staggeringly beautiful, um, unusual things that sort of get my juices flowing, really. So it, it's, if, if I'm correct, Alan, it has these sort of, it has very long um, sort of arching stems that probably are self-clinging because of all the, these little hooks that probably yeah. help it to attach to things with with a very interesting leaf that almost sort of makes it look sort of a, a bit of a fishbone sort of structure as it as it yeah. comes out. And then at the end of these, beautiful sort of arching draping stems are these heads of the most sort of luxurious sort of mauve um, solanum flowers but they're kind of bigger and more buxom and more sort of ripply than the normal ones you know it's not like it, your average salanum. so yeah so that was I mean it wasn't flowing away for long because Alan very kindly
0: applied
1: <laughs> my desire and and found one for me. But oh, how lovely! But that yes, what I mean, I'm now. I think it's going to go and live in the bathroom <laughs> for the winter because we don't have a heated greenhouse, and I think it likes to be quite hot and steamy. If I'm right, Alan, is that right? Well, I don't know about
2: steamy, but it likes to be warm. Yes. And it, it's, it's, I mean, I grow, uh, I, I take cuttings of it every year. And I suppose I probably get no more than about a 30% take on my cuttings. And they're very, very slow because you, you tug away at the cutting and you think, oh, it's rooted, but it doesn't make any top growth. And, you know, it's very slow into growth. The the mother plant was very slow into growth anyway. She's deciduous so loses the leaves in the winter. And then the following year, she's very slow into growth, and the babies are too. And it wasn't until probably middle of May, beginning of June before they started to put, the one I gave you before it started to put foliage out. Um, Mm. And then they grow, once they start, they go. Um, You have to play the waiting game,
1: I'm afraid. It is going now. Um, yes, it's that is the the bits that were just beginning are really sort of extending out now. Mm. So that's very exciting. The other one, the other um craving that you satisfied, Alan, was Iochrome which yeah. I had a beautiful one for many, many years, and then I was idle or irresponsible, whichever you want to call it. And I think I left it outside a little bit too long, didn't particularly like it. But um this is a plant that I first ever saw in a garden called Lamoran, I think, in um, Cornwall in St. Mores. And they have this spectacular one in an urn. And you kind of, it's one of those plants, you look at it and you think, is it a fuchsia? Is it, you know, is it something <laughs> else? But it's an iochroma with with flowers a bit like fuchsia boliviana, but not maybe not quite as long. Yeah. Um, and again, you 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 had one, so it's now in pride of place in our garden room, looking very very healthy and flowering beautifully. So that that was a delight to find that again. Um, and the one I the one I'm going to have to wait patiently for is your climbing um, your climbing Mexican. Daisy, which uh, which uh, is it? Senechia Confusers? I think it used to
2: it be that. called Senechia confusa, but I think it's it's renamed now. But for I think for general talking as we are now, is enough because that's what most people would know it of if they know it at all. It comes from Guatemala, and it is this sort of. It's not a climber; it's a scrambler because it doesn't cling and it doesn't tendrilize or anything like that. But you know, you can train it up an obelisk and things like that. But it has the most amazing bright red bunches of daisy flowers on it. And it is truly. I'll tell you, I was really, really flattered because um, two of probably Britain's most famous garden designers, are, um, uh, Isabel Bannerman and Julian. And Julian came to the garden one day, and he just had to have it. And I did have plants of it, um, but again, it's one that I don't plant, uh, don't <clears throat> have in huge supply. It's not difficult to grow from cuttings, but and you will be satisfied with one next year, Dan. I promise. <laughs>
1: But it's, I mean, it's, I mean, that's the lovely thing about your garden that you see unexpected things that you maybe can't um, easily identify. It's quite, it's very, as somebody who loves plants, it's very sort of stimulating to go around. Mm -hmm. You don't always want to go around and go, oh, I know that one, I know that one, or I've grown that. You want to go and visit, I want to go and visit gardens where you're thinking, you know, not only do you see plants you're not familiar with, but they're, brilliantly well you know not just grown for survival they're grown, <laughs> they're grown so that they are absolutely at their peak of sort of health and possibilities so I mean because because you have it going up either side of the door is it a door yeah. or a window a window yeah um and just just spectacular to see it like that um, even if
0: afterwards you do have a, a real sense of inadequacy <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I just have to get over that.
2: (laughs) That plant will grow from um, a small cutting to a six foot plant in a season
1: easily. Amazing
0: doesn't no. in anyway
1: <laughs> I, I suppose it's a bit like a climbing tithonia isn't it it's that yes, kind yes. of color of orange isn't it yeah yes. but...
0: and I must say I finally after years of meaning to grow tithonia and not really having anywhere to put it I had tithonia at the allotment this year and my goodness that was a flomo fulfilled and I absolutely loved it it's such a glorious orange if you love orange you have to grow it
1: and have you felt it as well? Oh
0: yes, it's so touchy-feeling,
1: strokable plant ever. I think. I
0: always think it feels
1: clammy. <laughs> Do Oh <you?
0: laughs> no, it's all felty and lovely. Oh, I know. <laughs> I
1: think it's peachy. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's been such a joy, Dan. I have loved it. If people want more of you in their life, obviously they can follow your exploits and buy from you, but they can also hear you. Series two of Two Good Gardeners is back with Julia Parker. So first episode out already. By the time this is in the world, who knows, there may be two, three.
1: will be another one, yes, <laughs>
0: so go get more of dan in your life on the podcast as well and um yeah i'll just continue following you and getting tons and tons of flomo but until next time happy gardening everybody happy gardening everybody happy gardening (laughs) hey Fordyce here just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person if you really liked it please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant loving mayhem next week And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.